This week on Inside the Ropes, it's a US Open sort of a special. Yeah, Maddie Jones is going to give us a, a little inside view into what's happening over at Tory Pines. We're also going to talk to a couple of kings that are actually queens. <laughs> they are queens. They're legends, whatever they are. Empresses. Yep, Pam of... and Marg out at Hamilton Golf Club and what they're doing to grow the game there on the women's side. And a sneaky chat with Grace Kim. Bring it on. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. G'day, everybody, and welcome to episode 211. It's a nice, nice little number, isn't it? You know, it's not 911, it's 211, which is good, but it might turn into that a little later on, given who I've got alongside me. Today, a big show coming up. We're going to talk to Matt Jones, who is talking to us from California in the lead-up to the US Open this week at Torrey Pines. We're talking to Pam and Marg King as well out of Hamilton Golf Club, hearing what they're doing to grow the game. And we're going to have a little cheeky chat and check-in with Grace Kim, who's added a professional title to her amateur name uh, in our final segment. Plenty to get through as well as, well, doing the wraparound of uh, all of golf's news from last week and what's coming up this week. And there's no man better to do it alongside than Mark Hayes. Welcome, Mark. Good to see you. Thank you, Ellie. Very kind words. Are you implying that we're going to have an emergency by the 911 later? Is I'm not sure. You never know. It's just, no. it's it's one of those things with you. You've got this little glint in your eye today. He's he's come in fresh shaven, folks. He, he's looking ready and raring to go. We've missed you, missed you last week and the week before, but he's back with a vengeance. A COVID shave. Is that what it is? A lockout, lockdown shave I had. Did it get long during the two weeks and then you've just yeah, you've just no, got I rid got, of it all it, for today? No, I got a bit bushy and uh, I thought it was probably a good time not to scare you when I next saw you. So off it came a few days ago. So uh, I'm not sure how long it'll stay off, but <laughs> people can laugh at me when, we, when they see the picture of this uh, podcast go up a little later on. Oh, right. Yeah, I had to shave last night as well, so uh, <laughs> just so I didn't scare you. <laughs> Appropriate. 911, <laughs> quick, quick. Here we go. We got to it quickly, didn't we? Well, let's have a little chat about uh I mean, there, there was plenty plenty going on this week. There was a oh. different styles of of events, some uh, some really interesting winners all over the world and a, a couple of uh, uh new first-time winners. And a new leader among Australian women's golf. I know. There's so many God. places to start here, Ali. I know. I know. Go with it. Go there. Well, let's go there, eh? Yeah, there's been a change at the top. It has been and Look, it, I suppose it's not completely unforeseeable when you think back to Hannah Green becoming a major champion a couple of years ago. Mm. But we all sort of thought, oh, I definitely did. I'm not sure about you, that Minji Lee was a lock in that number one Australian slot, especially with the Olympics coming up. Um, it was just a, a fait accompli that she'd be our highest ranked player and there'd be a bit of a scrap for the second and Hannah would probably get there, etc. Well, another beautiful finish. Um, by Hannah Green this week on the LPGA Tour third, a tie for third, a fast finishing tie for third. Mm. And she's suddenly the supremo. She's the head honcho of Australian women's golf. She's playing so well, so well at the moment. We've been, you know, she's been a talking point for the last couple of months now, um, realistically, ever since the LPGA Asian swing where she's like, if you get me on the course, I'm going to, I'm going to win at some point in time. Um, 
and yeah, finished with a, a nice little 66 and said that she actually, I, I loved, I, I read a quote from her where she said, this sounds obnoxious, but I missed a lot of short opportunities in that did 66. She, say that? she did, which just makes me love her even more. The fact that <laughs> she can hear it coming out of her mouth and she's got, she's kind of got to put that disclaimer that I know that I, I know what I sound like, but this is actually, uh, actually fact she was a clubhouse leader for uh, quite a while on, uh, on, on Sunday as uh, a couple of, uh, well, first-time tryers, really, were uh, battling out at the top. That was pretty fun to watch as well. Uh, and it was. That was great to watch. And, uh, and the mm. first-time Finnish winner, which I'm sure you, you, yes. you probably know. Finnish, that. as in the country. Yes. Yeah, not the first Finnish. <laughs> well, <laughs> There's so many puns. Yeah, there are. They would have kicked are. me out of the commentary box if I was over there. <laughs> yeah, Matilda Castron, uh, who played her college golf over at Florida State University. Um, the Finns do a lot right in terms of women's golf. Uh, there's actually a lot more equality over in, in Scandinavia, um, in particular as well in Sweden, which we'll get to in a, in a little moment with the event that just unfolded there um, over the weekend. But, uh, yeah, she, they just seem to be not dissimilar to the way that we run things here, but they get a lot of their squads together quite often mm. uh, throughout the year. They've got some really good stalwarts on the Ladies European Tour that take – the next generation under their wing and they do a lot together, you know, throughout that, you know, they, they get welcomed onto the tour and they get put under the, the you know, the umbrella and they get kind of ushered through their first couple of years, uh, which is something that I implore and admire uh, in equal parts. But Denmark's the same, Sweden's the same. Like they, they kind of, they understand how to bring the talent together and get the talent working together. I think if you're in Helsinki or somewhere similar that you probably very nervous that if you don't do well in a summer sport, you'll end up off a big ski jump in the middle of winter for the rest of your sporting career. That's probably a fairly big stick to carry, I reckon. What is it? It's like 18 or 19 hours a day of sunlight in summer, isn't it? Obviously, it's pretty it's pretty bloody cold in winter. Yeah, but no, there are trade-offs. Yeah, there certainly are. So Matilda Castron, uh, yeah, took the chocolates over, um, who was it, Minley, uh, who had a valiant effort on the on the final day there and was waving to everyone and really personable to the point where, you know, the commentators were listening and Kay Crock was like, Yeah, she's waving to these people up on the balcony on the on the apartment and Matilda's gone, Do you know do you know them? She's like, Nah, but they were waving at me, so I waved back. And it's like she it was it was just really um lovely and refreshing. But Matilda, I mean the first six holes, I don't know that I've seen a start like that where she just fired at mm. pins over and over again. Um and her coach, Chris Mason, who's out of San Diego is such a legend, helps a lot of uh, people in the women's game. Aria Jatanagan, um, just to name one, but it's a pretty big one. Uh, he's worked with Yanni Sang as well, but he actually had a player, Morgan Matro, who won on the Symmetra Tour. So he had a very, very good weekend. And he sounds Aussie, but he's English that's moved to America. Okay. I've made that mistake before, but uh, I've kind of adopted him. So oh, he's nice. a, a lovely guy, so it's great to see. Uh, yeah, great to see, you know, that kind of work being rewarded. It it was, uh, and I, look, we're going to mention uh, this next gentleman's name. If we're wrapping up tours at the moment, we won't spend too long on it. We're going to mention his name hundreds of times mm. in the coming years. Uh, an, an unbelievable victory, really, from Garrick Higo in on the US Men's PGA Tour. Uh, extraordinary. Was never in front <laughs> until he was in front. Um, but the television nightmare. That's that's because you focus so much on like three groups, and then all of a sudden someone wins, and you feel like you've barely seen them. Uh, well, we're going to see plenty of him. Yeah, we are. So, so we we saw him come to, I guess, great public notoriety. Of course, 
two victories on the European tour, I think both in Tenerife um, a couple of weeks ago, while they were on that swing over there, uh, rocketed into everyone's sort of calculations about everything. Goes across, wins first up on the PGA Tour. I mean, it's unbelievable where he's come from. 22 years old, left-hander, smashes the ball, mm. brilliant touch, cools the other side of the pillow. Like he just, <laughs> he's unbelievable. Yeah. Would you believe, Ali, that he is now number two behind Louis Eustazen in the Olympic rankings for uh, South Africa? I would, but you wouldn't pick that at the start of the year, would you? Oh, it, it, that's a billion to one. Huge. There's Absolutely so many. It's, it's not like there's, you know, a couple of good players from South Africa. They, they're everywhere. There are more South Africans in the top hundred than, than Australians. Mm. Uh, a phenomenal effort here and, and much more to come from Garrick Higo. Well, he was the first player since uh, I think it was 1998 to win his first regular PGA Tour start, um, regular season start, because obviously some of them are, are kind of co-sanctioned. Uh, but yeah, we've been talking about him for for a little while now. And I think I mentioned a couple of, maybe two or three months ago, that he he had that it factor. He's got this, and you can't, explain that can you when you walk up to someone and they've got presence and he he obviously has that on his scorecard but as a as a person as well uh, just the way that he holds himself he's extremely approachable uh, and likable as a guy Uh, he's not too big for his shoes at all and and I just think that he's going to be you know a guy that people enjoy watching the the progression of oh he just looks a smart athlete to me Mm. he's got those sort of pilot sort of sunglasses. He's He's got it going on. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, you had to feel a little bit for Hadley though, didn't you? Oh, Hadley that's, that's where of, I was going here Absolutely. Now. He, said, he said himself that he said, I can only imagine what it looked like on TV because it felt awful from my view. <laughs> I could hardly keep it on the planet. Direct quote, final round 75 and, and really did a lot of damage in those last three holes. I hate the word choked, he went on to say. That's not the right word because that's a very negative word, but I didn't handle it the way I needed to handle it. Bogey, mm. bogey, bogey. Yeah. With it in his palm with three holes to play. It's a pro's nightmare, Ali. It's, well, it's a, I think it's a golfing nightmare. We've all been there, you know, whether it's your Saturday comp, yeah. you know, or Tuesday stable foot or, or whatever it is. Yep. And you, and you become extremely aware of where you sit in the event. And it's like, it's just, your, your brain just goes, yeah. um, you know, so much of this sport is, is absolutely mental. He's hit, he could probably have hit better shots with his eyes shut. Oh. It's so cruel to even hear you say that. But like, I I actually mean that, you know, like if he he was to take, yeah, to take everything out of it and just trust his athleticism, because it's something he's obviously hit millions and millions of golf shots over the years and just get out of his own way. And it's, and you feel for him. You really do. I, 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 your heart goes out to him and and it would have meant so much to him in a, in a membership and cash scenario. It's not just your, you know, another American uh, making billions of dollars, and that mm. would have meant so much to him yeah. to win that tournament. So, well, before we leave those two tours, I just will recap the Australian results there, so we don't uh, gloss over them. Rian Gibson, uh, sort of forgotten man this year on tour, it was twenty fifth of the best of the Australians. Aaron Baddeley made the cut. Uh, we lost a couple um, before we got to that stage, and on the women's side, we mentioned Hannah Green finishing third, Minji Lee finished fortieth, and Kat Kirk finished forty sixth, and Suo fifty seventh, and Sarah Jane Smith sixty fourth. And uh, and Suo is going back to a course that she's had some success on as well uh, this week at the what is it Maya LPGA Classic runner up there last time round to to, uh, to Brooke Henderson so mm. 
Hopefully she's someone that can kind of build on the experience because, you know, the last three winners on the LPGA have all either been first-time winners or out-of-nowhere winners yeah. with um, Yuka Sasso, obviously, who's established on other tours uh, over in Japan and then uh, Wailing Shi as well. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of, there's been a little bit of a shift in my opinion, because it's been so much in the women's game about experience. And with men, you've seen more mm. first time winners that maybe this is a little bit of uh, a change of pace. Speaking of uh, unusual winners, shall we mm. say, and it's one of the, a great event across, um, in your obviously clearly second favorite place in Scandinavia, Ali. <laughs> Um, we, we saw the Scandinavian Mixed hosted by uh, Henrik Stenson and Annika Sorenstam, a phenomenal event and a very unexpected winner, shall we say. Yes. Well, I mean, we're talking about Jonathan Caldwell, who shot 64, uh, and his, I think his last five holes were eagle bo- bogey, birdie, bogey, birdie for that 64. <laughs> it was lively, wow. absolutely lively with that. Uh, you know, a lot of lead changes early on uh, in the day as well. Jason Scrivener, our very own from uh, from WA, uh, held the top spot for a while and just fell off uh, kind of in the last nine or ten holes, sadly. He looked, he looked good with an eagle there for a while. He, did. he looked like, oh, he's going to kick clear. This is it. Yeah, a big momentum change. But, you know, it's once once you kind of turn those corners and trying to keep the pedal down in that kind of pressure, um, it's great to see him just being a factor consi- quite consistently at the moment. Is it coming for him? I th- well, I think he's going to win. I yep. would be amazed if he stopped playing golf and hadn't won on any tour. I think that's a ludicrous thought that that couldn't happen. Uh, I think he's doing all of the right stuff. I'm happy to see, like I've said recently, he's got his he's got his team together. He's building that behind himself, and um, yeah, he's one of those guys that you know he's not. He's not kind of an Adam Scott, Jason Day, Lucas Herbert in yep. the, in terms of the the flashy nature of the game. He's going to be a consistent earner. That is his good week is certainly good enough to win. But in the meantime, he's going to be logging. Yeah, he's going to be logging some serious cash. I'll come back to you on a different note of that with a <laughs> okay. second, but just to reaffirm the unusual nature of the winners on the European Tour in the last few weeks. Um, after Garrick Higo won in in Tenerife. We've had Richard Bland win the British Masters, uh, Bernd Wiesberg, which is not a surprise at all in Denmark. But then I would say if you had a ticket that had these two as a running double, Marcus Armitage and Jonathan Caldwell, you would not be listening to Inside the Ropes right now because you'd be you'd probably own Tenerife, I think. Yeah, it's um, Caldwell's been playing well for yep. the last year. You know, he's actually really gone up a notch with his game. He was one of the guys that felt like uh, the, the COVID hiatus really helped him. And for a lot of people that were struggling with their game, having the permission and the time to do the work without feeling like they were being left behind was quite helpful. Mm. And, uh, you know, Emily Pedersen's one that springs to mind on the women's side where she went back to the drawing board and kind of rebuilt everything and just has come out and she's won four times in the last 12 yeah. months. And, um, and as the, you know, the Euro- ladies European tour number one, but. I, I think he's certainly one of those guys. I think pretty from memory, I remember he was he was cycling lots. He actually kind of went to this remote part. He, he's from Northern Ireland and uh, went to this remote part. I think it, I think it was still in Ireland, Ireland, but I'm not sure. I'm not so good with my geography over there yet. Working on that. Watch that <laughs> space. Uh, but and he was just like cycling around, and just really gave himself some some space mentally. Well, we've spoken to Stephen Allen. You guys spoke to him last week, and we'd we'd obviously uh, played the audio of um, Armitage winning as well. Mm. But d- let's not forget here: Caldwell lost his card back more than a decade ago, and he's been knocking around 
you know, in the interim, not recently, but in the interim on really small tours just to try and make ends meet. So it's bizarre. Now I want to give, um, Scott Hen, we gave a big rap to you guys, mm-hmm. gave a great chat with about last week. That was fantastic to listen to, uh, with his own gear, shoes, clothes, sticks, <laughs> Scotty Hen finished fourth, uh, in Sweden. Um, so congratulations to him as the best Australian. The next best, she, which mm-hmm. is awesome to be able to say that, uh, Steph Kiriakou. And I know you've got really high hopes for what she's got coming up. Uh, Steph, I would not be surprised if she's the next Aussie to win on tour. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, like up there again with Hannah Green, Scribb's been playing some great golf. Uh, we, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later on to Matt Jones about the the Aussie contingent and their potential at, at Torrey Pines. And I'm looking forward to kind of picking his brains about potentially why that is. Uh, but Steph, Steph has a little something that is immeasurable in that when she gets in contention, she looks like she's going to win. Like she actually genuinely has that, like she's so affable by nature and kind of sarcastic and, mm. you know, she's got a brilliant sense of humour, which you you know probably better than anyone. You, you've had to interview her more than once. And I know uh, trying to keep, you know, it's like herding cats, trying to keep her on, uh, keep her on topic. But she, she's got that look in her eye. And I think once she kind of, you know, she, she broke through that, that glass ceiling and got her first win, mm. uh, I, I honestly would not be surprised if she takes another win in the next few months. I'm not saying she's Tiger Woods, don't get me wrong, but she mm. makes Tiger Woods amount of birdies. Mm. She really, she can go red hot. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Mm. Uh, Mavank, we should, yeah, we should, before we go into the results, we should kind of talk a little bit about the actual. Absolutely. The, the, the format, itself. now that we've touched on Steph, 78 players, male and female, competing for the same trophy. Um, big money up for grabs from the female perspective. It was a, one of the smaller purses from the men's, but it, it matters so much. Mm. Um, you know, I think Alice Hewson, who came third, walked away with, I think, about 55,000 euro. And that is, that's a winner's check in a lot of the that's females. That's a lot of LAT yeah. results in there. It is. It is. So a big, big uh, week uh, for her and in terms of her career and her bank balance, that'll propel her forward. Uh, but yeah, back to the Aussies. Go on. Play no, away. no, Play not away. at all. I just wanted to say Mav Ancliffe, um, Whitney Hillier and Jake McLeod were the, uh, the Aussies to miss the cut there. But I, I, to me, that event, like everything the European tour does that's slightly different, just has that really good feel about it. I, I'm just full of praise for what they do. Mm. Um, obviously great that uh, Annika and Henrik can wield their... Great power uh, on the continent, particularly in Sweden, to to get that done. I I think that's a a staple of the future. I I wonder if you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. You know what are we going to be saying about how we're managing the male female sides of golf in ten twenty years? You know, like we look back at some of the things now that were commonplace in the in the late nineties and thinking, oh, it's so weird. Why did we yeah. do things that way? On, you know, on a global front, really. Um, not not just within sport. And I am curious to see I don't think it's gonna take off. Like I really can't see any time in the next five years us having a mixed tour. I just I can't see that yet. No. Nor can I. But no. but I can see tournaments, you know, in different ways. Like the Vic Open obviously yep. is one example. Another one was when the USGA used Pinehurst mm. back to back so the infrastructure didn't change week to week um, between the two US Opens a couple of years back. Mm. Um, more innovative ways to reduce waste, I think. That's a, that's a really good way to put it, isn't it? Because then all of a sudden you've got 
set one set of setup costs yeah. um, from the tournament perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Very intriguing. Uh, let's run quickly through the other events for the Australians around the world. Jamie Arnold was the only one of a host of Aussies to make the cut at the Corn Ferry Tour in South Carolina. Uh, finished tied 20th, a good result for him there. Um, I should mention that Mito Pereira from Chile was the winner there, um, which is normally wouldn't make a great mention on Inside the Ropes, but it was his third win of the year, Ali, of the extended year. He gets battlefield promotion, and that's a very rare thing. So look out for that name. Mito Pereira was bumming around on the uh, Latino America Tour mm. uh, 18 months ago, yeah, and here right. he is onto the PGA Tour through their pathway. They'll be chuffed with this. Um, the, the PGA, that someone can go through those steps really quickly. Um, really nice player. 65, 63, 66, 64, if you don't mind. Mm. I mean, it's unthinkable that that score. I mean, Jamie Arnold finished uh, 12 shots behind with rounds of 66, 68, 69, 67. It's, it's, <laughs> it just shows you the level of golf on that tour. Um, yeah. On the Challenge Tour... Um, in the in Europe, Blake Winder did well, tied 18th there. Um, Jimmy Papadados and Jared Felton also made the cut. On the Korean PGA Tour, Jun Sok Lee did really well, tied for 16th, going nicely. Uh, we spoke briefly about the Symmetra Tour, but not this week's results. Steph Nah from Adelaide, the best of the Aussies over there um, at the Island Resort Championship in Michigan, tied for 25th. On the Champions Tour, Stephen Leaney, um, thereabouts again. He's starting to bank a bit of cash, uh, Mr. Leaney. Uh, Rob Pampling, John Sennon, and Dave McKenzie all made the cut as well. Um, Ali, that leads us into, and we before we, we will talk to Matt Jones in a second, it's US Open week. Um, big week. Next week, of course, is the Women's KPMG PGA Championship. You did it. You got it. Uh, thank you very much. Well done. So two big weeks are in a row. Let's quickly, just briefly before we talk to Matt, because I think he's coming online in a second. Talk about the U.S. Open this week at Torrey Pines. I can't remember. I think it's like there are that many storylines. It's like WrestleMania. <laughs> it really is. Call 911 now if you like. There are so many storylines and so few clear-cut favorites. I've never seen anything like it. John Rahm deserves to be the favorite. Is he fit enough after his COVID bout? He's passed the tests. He's negative. By the time people listen to this, he's probably going to be 20 under and halfway to victory. But right now on Tuesday morning, will he even play? Should he play? Has he rusty? There's Phil Mickelson chasing his career. There's Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka having punch-ups in the background. There's there's uh, Steve Stricker talking tough about Ryder Cup selections with those two clowns. There's Dustin Johnson, Thomas... McElroy, all these guys who would normally be a favourite in inverted commas, hitting it sideways mm. uh, at the wrong times in tournaments. It's a freak show in terms of how open it is. What have you got a thought? Have you sat down and tried to analyse the field? Uh, I well, yeah, I have. Uh, but I think there's certain things about Tory Pines, and you know, I'm I'm sure it'll, it'll come up in conversation later on. Uh, it is. Like people in stats hate saying horses for courses. So, cause they're like, but there's just as many people that don't play well, that did play well the year before that for it to kind of disprove itself. Um, in terms of the US open rotor, I think this is one where if you've had previous good experience on the course, it is a massive deal. 
and you know we talk about the farmers insurance open um that plays over their winter every year the course will be playing differently now but i do think that i would be looking to people that have played well on mm. this course before and so to the guys that aren't playing well i'd be looking at whether they'd played well in the past so it doesn't it's less about recent form and more about course form um and and I say that as well because, you know, everyone talks, oh, you've got to keep it on the fairways. The rough is so long. Like Mark Leishman, he shot, what was it, 65 in his final round when he won uh, in the start of last year, uh, in, back in 2020. And he hit three fairways that day. <laughs> like three fairways shot 65. Yeah. And granted, I'm not sure how deep the rough was, but it was colder. So there, there are other mitigating factors uh, that would have come into play. But I, yeah. It's going to be a bit of a bung fight, I think. It really will. And and we saw um, the last time it was there in 2008, it lived up to its you know beastly scoring potential that a US Open can have because the USGA does all sorts of tricks, mm. et cetera, and they don't want to get too far away from par. We know that. So I think you want to find someone who's calm as well. I mean, it does point to Leash to me. A lot yeah. of things line up Mark Leishman here. Will he win? Probably not. I reckon he's got a realistic shot at this. Mm. Just, to, just to me, I've just got something telling me. I like it. I'm not going against that at all. Maybe Maddie Jones. Maddie Jones, yeah. Do you want to find out? I'd love to. I reckon we should. Let's yeah. find out, eh? <laughs> Maddie Jones is on the line, and straight after this break, the dual Australian Open champion joins us on Inside the Ropes. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, and as we discussed, a big week in the world of men's golf this week, Ali. The US Open at uh, one of the most famous courses on the on the rotor. Oh, I'm still going to call it a rotor, even though it's not the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, Torrey Pines in San Diego in Southern California. And we're joined from that very locale by Matt Jones, the dual Australian Open champion. I love saying that. Welcome, Matty. Um, welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, we, we've been listening in for just a moment now. We can hear some a little bit of pitter-patter in the background. Who's with you out there this week, and, and where are you as we speak to you right now? Uh, you could definitely hear my three-year-old Simone <laughs> right then, and then I've got, I've got everyone in the car with me right now. We're just about to head out and get some dinner. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so you've, have you been out at the uh, out at the course so far? It's Monday night, as I understand it, over in uh, in California. Yeah, I went out there today. We did. Uh, I just walked actually nine holes, the front nine, and chipped and putted, and uh, just had a look at the golf course to get a feel for it. And then tomorrow, I'll do. I'll play eighteen and nine holes on Wednesday. Have you had much of a history at the, what is now the Farmers Insurance Open, Matt? Uh, I finished fifth there. Um, Probably uh, maybe five, six years ago. Um, but then I uh, haven't really had... I've, I've played well there in the past, but I haven't really had a lot of great success. As I as I understand it, so like we, we talk about kind of the rotor and obviously um, each January rolls round and the Farmers Insurance Open comes on, but it, that's that's a mix. You play, I think you play one, one on the day north. on the north mm. there, whereas this is... Um, all four on the south course, which is the longer by, I think, about 500 yards or so, isn't it? Um, you, you talked about walking around yeah. with, um, with you, you know, your, your wedges yeah. and your putter. Is that something that you normally do? I'm always fascinated by how people prepare for a tournament, and I think there's so much that, you know, elite amateurs can learn from the pros on that front. What's your, what's your regular schedule on that front, and, and does that change at all for major weeks? 
Um, it's, that's actually not something I normally do, but I'm not normally at a course or a tournament come on a Monday. Monday's mm. normally a day off, travel day, rest day, recovery day. But since we flew in Sunday and it is a major week and it's a course that is going to play a lot different than I'm used to, um, I decided to go out there and get a feel for the firmness of the greens, the thickness of the rough and um, because we're normally here in January where it's pretty soft and it's cold and wet and windy. So this is probably a very lazy journalist sort of a question, <laughs> Maddie. You'd be used to them from me. But the um, we always like to say that some courses favour Australians. Um, and I would have thought that maybe this one has that sort of feel to it, especially in the summer when it's a bit bouncier. Great history of you know Leash and Day mm-hmm. a couple of times as one there in the last five or six years. Does it suit, suit your eye from where you've grown up, et cetera? It's it's a very comfortable golf course to me visually. Um, I, it, it is. I stand on the tees and I'm like, well, I, this is fine. It's more, and I look at a golf course of when I'm playing of where I can manage misses from um, before I hit a shot, uh, so I can manage my golf course. If I do miss a shot, where's the best place to play from? And out here, there's a lot of places where it's very comfortable to manage a golf course from your misses. It's so it's probably really enlightening for a lot of people to hear pros think about you mm. know that, and and it's so much about managing managing your games and kind of putting your misses in better places. Um, I, I guess I, my question for you, Matt, is is what would you compare Torrey Pines to in Australia? Is there a course that it you know like somewhere along the New South Wales coast that it, um, potentially yeah, d- definitely uh, yeah definitely because we're playing on Poana, we're playing on Kike. Um, it's courses I grew up in in Australia, that type of grass everywhere in Australia that I grew up, uh, in Sydney that I grew up with. Um, I grew up on a golf course called Carilla, then Liverpool. I played a lot of golf courses, uh, a golf at a course called Bankta- Bankstown, which was kike everywhere and Poe. Um, not New Brighton was the same way. Uh, so it's more so being comfortable and understanding the grass and being comfortable. And that's what it's, that's what it's like. And I don't mean, San Diego is very similar to like the Sydney weather in some, you know, in a lot of ways. So, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it as well. And am I right, Matt, in also saying that it, that is accentuated, exaggerated, whatever the word is, in June as opposed to January? Like you're going to get more, in inverted commas, Australian bounce out of it than you would in the middle of winter over oh, there? Well, without question. From what I saw today, yeah, they're going to, the fairways are already browning up. So they're going to be, and they need them to be firmer and faster to make them narrower. The firmer and faster they are, the narrower they become. So, they're going to let them get brown, and then you're going to see the greens get purple and brown, and they are going to be. Uh, that's that's really the biggest defence of this golf course is the firmness and fast, fast, uh, how fast these greens are going to be. What what speed do you think that they're roughly at? Because I know that they kind of plied themselves on 13 plus at times. Yeah, they're not. They're nowhere near that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be right now. They'll be 11 and a half, but come. Come tournament day and then late into the weekends, they'll be 12 and a half easily. And then you've really got to be able to manage where you miss it to be able to get access to pins and up and downs. Uh, to me, Matt, you're always chilled and relaxed. I, that's who you are in my mind when I, when I think of you. Uh, I haven't heard you this chilled in a middle of a PGA Tour season before. Would that be down to where you are? You're currently um, just low 30s on the FedEx Cup and, you know, you've locked away your card and for a couple of years with your win at the Honda. Is it just the year that sort of eased your burden? 
Uh, probably from where I've been in the last previous few years, I would say. Um, but then I've also, on the other hand, other side of that, I've got a chance to finish top 30. There's a lot I still have to play for as well this year. Um, and you don't really want to not get to those goals you have when you're so close right now. Um, so I am relaxed, yes. Um, I would love to be able to see my coach and get some work done. I've only oh, seen Gary for a year and a half, and I, I rely on Gary a lot. Um, he used to come over five, six times a year, and not seeing him for since the players last year is, is tough, and my uh, my swing would suggest that as well. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. Is How are you feeling you know, about your game at the moment? Um, there's aspects that are, are really, really good, and there's other aspects that aren't to where I know they can be. Um, yeah, my swing, my short game, chipping, putting is really, really good. Um, but my full swing is, I mean, it's close. It, well, I mean, when you're talking about us and pro golfers complaining about golf swings, it's kind of funny. But <laughs> we, I know where it can be and I know where it is. And it's, it's close. It's just not quite where I want it to be. Um, I mean, especially playing in the US Open, you've got to be able to control your ball, your trajectory and your spin so much that your swing has to be on. You can't do that without being on. So I've got I've got plenty of time to get it ready, and I, I think I can. I think we're close. Matty, can you still afford Gary? Last time I heard his name mentioned a lot was at Concord <laughs> at the New South Wales Open, and every man and his dog was willing to soar off an arm to have a bit of a chat with him. Ah, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's highly sought after. I think um, he's got a fair few he's got a fair few um, young golfers coming through now that are challenged to a Aussie tour. He's got Steph, who's in the Women's European Tour, um, so he's he's finally getting um, those players out there. Yeah. Which I mean, he's always had a lot of them, but worldwide he hasn't had that many. So um, yeah, it's going to be tough. I'm coming towards the end of my career, so it's good for some others to come along and. Get him out there. Get you're, him, get him travelling. You're just a pup at this game, mate. You're just you're just learning. <laughs> no, I'm I'm 41 now. I've been I've been playing professionally for 20 years. You're mate. in your prime, Matt. Yeah. You're you, in your prime. You are the Benjamin yeah. Button of Australian I, golf, Matty. <laughs> no, I think that was Steve Allen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have a button off this week at Torrey Pines. I saw him today. It was good to see him. That's awesome. Um, I want to ask you one last serious question from me before Ali perhaps wraps things up here. Uh, the US Open for you, not your first dance. You've been there a few times. I put it to you that you've never been playing better when you've got to this stage. And what would it mean to you? I'm um, just looking back at the record books here. Um, your first one was in 2009 and your last was just last year, of course. But, um, you know, not a lot of weekend joy, shall we say. I don't think I have. I don't think I've made a cut at a U.S. Open, if history serves me correctly. Um, and it'd be the only major I have not made a cut at, uh, mm. which is disappointing. Um, but U.S. Opens are designed that way. You can't be off at all, or you're not making a cut. Um, you've got to be on. And I've probably just been off a little bit. Uh, but I mean, if there is a course that I think it suits me, it will be this one, um, especially with the experience that we have playing here. Um, every year for the farmers' insurance, so um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm getting a practice round in with Adam and Wade on uh, Wednesday, nice. and I think we'll be good. I think it's a it's a good week. 
Yeah, that sounds like a great week. One last stupid one from me. Do you think if you walk past Bryson and, and Brooks Kepke, you can throw a bit of petrol on the fire for us? That seems like pretty good fun. <laughs> oh, I mean, I don't think I don't think anyone needs to throw anything on that. It's just, it's just comedy right now without these two kids. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I can't I can't let him finish on that note. I have. He's, no, I've, fair enough. Hazy's lost it over on the side here, Matt. But um, one of the things that I've just been <laughs> noticing, you just tracking along nicely in the Olympic rankings, and that I can't think of three better ambassadors for the for the uh, male side, at least. Obviously, Hannah and uh, and Minji will probably be there for the ladies' side. Um, between you know you Leash and Cam Smith, does the prospect of potentially popping your name into that top two excite you? It does. It's been something I've spoken about. I passed up on it uh, for Brazil, which at the time I had to because I was trying to keep my job over here and I didn't have a choice really to skip a tournament when I'm trying to get my card wrapped up for the next year. That was a that was a tough decision I had to make, um, and I sat and thought about it. Um, and in hindsight, I probably would have preferred to have gone and played the Olympics. Um, and if I get the chance this year, uh, I definitely will. I actually don't even know when the cutoff is, to be honest. Um, I thought it was already up, and I thought Leash and Cam were already locked in. So I'm not sure, but uh, it would always be an, it would be an honour, and it would be something I'd like to do. That's what I love to hear. Well, Matt Jones, thanks so much for uh, taking a little bit of time out of a very busy week. And Hazy didn't do his research, but I did. Fifty percent of the winners around uh, that golf course have been Aussie in the last six years. So I hope that that's yep. a fact that uh, and a stat that, that bodes you well this week. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. No worries. Matt Jones there at Torrey Pines. Can't wait to see how it all unfolds. And uh, it should be shaping up to be a good week. Should Fingers be, crossed. Should be an Come absolute, on. Should be an absolute cracker. I think, as Matty said there, um, it's a course that, as your stats bear out, Ali. It's a course that really suits Australians. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's always good, I reckon, to know a little bit of the course. We always talk about you, you know, having some knowledge of Augusta National. Mm-hmm. And I think that because we see um, so much of Torrey Pines in, in January each year, and it's sort of the first big event of the year uh, that we pay a bit more attention to mm. it because it's the time on the West Coast swing that the people come out to play. So... Looking forward to it. That back nine in particular, you can't forget Tiger's run in 2008. Mm -hmm. It's just etched in your brain, I think, if you're a golf fan. So uh, first time back in 13 years, should be a cracker. Should be, yeah. And it's not over till it's over there as well. I've been looking into it and I think four of the last five winners were three plus shots back going into the final day. And I like I like that idea that really it's anyone's game on Sunday. Can I bring, you, you think that I just don't come armed with stats if you've got, you don't have any paper in front of you. You've got your laptop open, which is no, good. You've no, got your water bottle. No, that's but, uh, nothing to do with this. this okay, is... what what do you have locked in that little brain of yours? Not little. No, no, gosh, that a, was demeaning, no, wasn't it? No, it's very apt. It's I think not... a lot of listeners would agree with you. <laughs> I, I retract. I, I wanna, retract. No, too late. I want to put out there that the different this we look for the differences. People say, why is a U.S. Open course different to uh, any others? Okay, so in twenty oh eight. Tiger Woods won the, whatever it was called, the Farmers Insurance Open now mm-hmm. at 19 under the card in January. He rolled back in June, made that birdie putt to get into the playoff and won against Rocco Mediate yep. at one under par. Mm. 18 shots of the difference between USGA, US Open setup and the 
the fun and games they have on the tour. And admittedly, it's a north of course for a round as well, and they generally yep. go low there. Take that into consideration. Maybe it's a dozen or 13. That is a hell of a difference. That's huge. Um, so I, you know, it's going to be January farmers insurance open on roids. <laughs> And I can't wait because because always the um, you know the couple of closing holes are special and, and and even a two shot three shot swing on the last on the par five the famous par five there with the water in front of the green anything's possible so can't wait to see it we have great thanks to Matt Jones and we're going to come back after the break totally change gears and go all the way out to Hamilton Golf Club for a very special story with Australian Golf Media you're back inside the ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And as promised, uh, another instalment, a great instalment, Ali, uh, potentially here of the Visionary of the Year Award, which we've been running now for some five months. And the May winner, I believe, was the Hamilton Golf Club. Um, Look, there's been some great stories so far from around the country. This one's one of my particular favourites. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to, to speaking to the two women we're going to have on shortly, and we'll introduce them in a second. But for me, I'm really intrigued about the formula of, of how you get people into golf and how people do it in different regions of Australia as well, whether it be metropolitan, you know, and and the the better known golf courses or whether it's the, the flexibility that comes with country golf courses and how they can really get creative, which is certainly more the case Um in, in this situation. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be good. Well, for those who don't know, the Visionary of the Year honours clubs and people who are doing things to encourage women and girls to get into golf. And as Ali says, this is a, a cracking story and I reckon it's going to be really instructive, Ali. So without any further ado, mm, let's get them in. Let's get them in. So I want to wake, make a warm welcome to both Pam and Marg, unrelated King. <laughs> Welcome, women. Um, you, you guys are just um, kicking goals up there, and we'd, we'd love you to tell us what you thought when that, when you won the Visionary of the Year Award for May. Well, we're very excited. We're very proud of our, our um, Tuesday beginner girls, and um, Chris Crabb actually asked us to um, do a story on it. And, look, we're, we're just... Our minds are blown at the amount of comments we've had with regard to this program. That's fantastic. It, 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 so, Ellie, maybe we should run through the, the nuts and bolts of how come Hamilton Golf Club came to be in this position. Yeah, I, well, for me, you know, looking into the, the story of your golf club, now let, we've got to do some fact-checking here because some of the numbers almost don't really add up. Now, I'm reading <laughs> 1972 that this program was created, so yeah. near, on, near on 50 years ago. That's right. That's right. And do you know the lady that started it um, still plays golf? She's 87 years old and plays off about a handicap of 13. You're kidding. Oh, my gosh. I'm not. So is that... No, is... she's amazing. Is that Ath Archer or is that Beth Francis? Yes, that's Ath Archer. Yeah, wow. Ath Archer. Plays, plays nearly every Wednesday. Yep. Friday she'll come out and do nine holes as well. She's amazing. And as, as I understand it, this, this is a program that has effectively been run by the female members for the, fem, for the kind of the female potential golfing community. Is that right? Yes, certainly. It originally started, Ath was asked by a friend if she could teach her how to play golf. So she she did. And then with that, you know, a few more asked. And so within a couple of years, Ath and Beth decided that they'd do these six weeks, so run a clinic for six weeks or so. 
And it went on like that for a while, quite a few years. Yeah, a couple of years, I think. Yeah, and then yeah. they decided that, um, that they would run the clinic for six weeks, but then we would continue on with a Tuesday. They would play golf um, as the beginner girls had the option of playing golf every Tuesday for the year virtually. Okay, so when people... So our girls... No, go ahead. Go on. So our girls and that play on a Tuesday take they get a special membership for one year, which we call our beginner membership. And um, so they can come out and have access to the course every day of the week, except when there's a competition on. And Tuesday is known as our beginner's day. And so from that very time, in the you know, early to mid-70s, when that became more of a formal thing, that's been an ongoing process at Hamilton? Yep. Every year. Yep. But so, we've certainly, you know, like you could have eight or nine do the clinic, but you might, you, know, you might have only got one or two, two. to continue on. This year we advertised, we changed it, and we advertised that we were having a PGA professional run the six-week clinic for the first time. And which we did, and we had um, between what we call beginners and emerging golfers, players, players who have played a little bit but, you know, not feeling confident to play in the Wednesday, our ladies' day field and so on, we had um, 38, uh, 39 um, apply to, to do it, and we've only lost two of those. Wow. Um, one because her work changed and the other one... Um, was travelling and she said it's not worth, you know, for her to continue. So, yeah, it's just been amazing this year. It's, it's, re- it's really incredible and it's lovely to hear about that, the, the fact that like right up until this year that it's really been a membership-driven thing. And, and you know, it's, it's quite counterintuitive, I'd imagine, for a lot of places around Australia where you, you kind of feel like you need to have a pro attached to these clinics to teach each other but so much of golf is learned through through peer instruction you know you see someone play a shot and you ask them how to play it um I just had I haven't heard of it being done you know so member driven before which which is truly amazing yeah well that's what it always was was that you know we would go out I'm only you know out out into the field for a few years myself and but I remember doing it and, you know, we'd go out on a Tuesday and, and Marg and Beth in those days would come out and, um, you know, give you some guidance for, a couple, you know, a hole or two, what you were doing wrong or whatever, throw down a practice ball and, you know, have a hit, try this, try that. And that was the way we went until we went into the field. And we would argue that probably 90% of our um, member, lady members have been through as and best program. So do you find that it's that ease of being able to get started and feeling at home with your peers that attracts the new women, or not attracts them, but keeps them? I, I think so. Um, you know, you, you've got to be, we've got to show them how to play golf, but we've got to not be so strict. We, we, we make it a fun program in a certain way, um, and I think that's helped. Mm. And for a lot of people, they take it up when they retire. Yeah. And so for them, it, it could be new friends yeah. that they meet. Um, and, you know, I know I've, I've come across that and, and, you know, we go away on golfing trips and so on and um, in, from my groups that have gone through. Um, and, yeah, it's, 
becomes it, social. Yeah, it becomes it? social. It's the social side of it um, that is so enjoyable for them. So, Pam, Marg, I there are many reasons why this is one of my favourite stories in the visionary this year, but the thing that blows my mind, because we are sitting here um, dealing with a national problem of having 20% female club membership, and we're desperately trying to get it to 30. That's the goal nationally in the next few years. Hamilton Golf Club, just sit back if you're pondering how to do this at yours. Hamilton Golf Club has got a 50-50 split alley, uh-huh. male and female membership, and it's the only club by my reckoning that's got that. I mean, mm. it, it is the uh, you know pin-up of what we're trying to achieve here. And I, want, I wonder, the question that, you know, that I um, turn towards you, Pam and Marg, is what has to happen from the club in order to enable a program like this? You know, is in terms of, you know, how many comp days Hamilton has per week and, and what kind of social uh, tea times are available and how that's kind of um, been enabled throughout the years? Can you, can you give kind of some, some pointers yeah. as such? Yeah, well... Um... We, we have a men's competition on Saturday, which the ladies have been invited over the years to play in, and the men are more than happy for the ladies to join in that um, comp with them. Um, we have now... Men have now have a Thursday comp, uh, 18 holes, which they've opened up to the ladies as well. The ladies have a nine-hole comp on a Friday, which the ladies have opened up to the men. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, a a long process, but I think the majority of men here are more than happy to have the women play in the field. Mm-hmm. And and the comments that I've received with regard to it, that you know, there was always this thing: "Oh, well, the ladies are going to hold the men up." The men say now they can't keep up with the ladies. <laughs> um, uh, and look, the, the, we've got to take credit to the men as well for allowing us to to join in their field. Um, and um, and I think this is uh, and through the programs of this beginner golfing program. I think that's where we've got our lady members from. And um, we're pretty proud of having a 50-50 membership. I think it's a wonderful achievement. and um, But I take credit off to the men as well for allowing us into their field and it's, be happy about it. Yeah, it's interesting when we talk about it because it just seems so obvious. You know, the, like it's obviously it it's the way that we've been playing golf you know, around the world with the men's and women's comps. But, like, to say, why don't we just make all all comps effectively open yeah. and mixed? And it, and it just seems like such an obvious choice. I don't know that it's one that people will naturally rush towards within, you know, it might be something to do in stages. And, you know, in 10 years, are we going to be looking back going, why on earth did we have men's and women's comps? Yeah. And, you know, I think to start with, the ladies going into the men's comps and playing as well, there was a few. You get the older um, men that thought, gee, you know, we should be home doing this or doing that. But I think the way, especially the last 12 months, 18 months with, with the COVID, I think um, the men are happy for the ladies to get out and play and they're more than welcome. Now, I've got a really hard-hitting question to answer you, ask you before we, we um, wrap this up. 
Do you think that either Ath or Beth is devastated that now you two have gone down Media Street that they've missed out? <laughs> yeah, I, well, it sort of crossed Pam and, and my um, mind. Um, you know, we were thinking with all this media, we'd have to get a, a, a media manager in. <laughs> Look, we spoke to a lady yesterday who writes for a Japanese um, golfing magazine. Golfing magazine. And we're just blown, Pam and I are blown away to think that this program is so natural to us um, up here. We've always, as you see, we've always done it. And to think that other clubs aren't doing it, um, we just find a bit hard to believe. So have you told have you told us this? Have, is she, you know, is she aware that you you're now you know multinational sort of superstars? <laughs> uh, I'm not going. <laughs> but look, look. In all fairness to Athens, Beth, they're, they're they're very happy that Pam and I have taken this on now, and um, they they were delighted that um, you know it won the visionary award for May. But to be honest, as we said earlier, we really did not think we were entering that competition when we were asked by Chris to write something. I thought he was just going to publish it in the Golf Australia magazine because he'd been down and was quite, you know, intrigued by it all. Had no idea that this is, you know, what, where, where it's led to. Well, it's probably that that humility and approachability that that has been mm. part of the success uh, of the program over the years, from the sounds of it. Now, if if people are yeah. listening in and they're wondering how how to become a part of this, can you tell us where Hamilton is? It's in southwest Victoria, western district of Victoria. It's about um, a couple of hours from the South Australian border. Yep, um, we're about an hour north of Port Ferry and Warrnambool. And it's sort of at the foot of the Grampians, almost. Yeah. So how do they how do they sign up? How do they get involved? If uh, if you know maybe they're an hour up the road, and this might sound like a nice little a little fire starter for their golfing careers. Yep. They certainly can just contact the club, and um, they will give them our numbers, and yeah, we'll invite them in. We um, had planned to have our golf pro come back once a month and be out on the course with the girls. Marg and I go out on the course with the girls while they're playing um, in the other week and, you know, try to offer a bit of advice. But um, our golf pro was too, but he's been seriously unwell, and we're ho- but we're hoping he'll be back um, in a couple of months and he'll be out there with them um, as well. But I think it's, yeah, I think this year it's been the fact that... Um, We've got so many and some young ones, which is really fantastic. Yeah. Um, and and just having a pro um, around to do it and to help as well has it's been why it's been so successful. But certainly anyone can contact the club. We've got people who come from a lady that comes up from near Portland, so that's nearly an hour away. Yep. Um, and she's already you know in our program. I love that. Are you happy for, uh, for 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 us to direct some uh, some questions and pa- potentially people that would like to pick your brains on, yeah. on how you got it done towards you as well? Yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. I've been on friends in Colac who have rung us, yeah, about it already. So yeah, picked our brains. 
awesome. You'll be on the Late Show on NBC and CBS <laughs> if this keeps going. And we want to share the. Just remember, Ali and I, when this happens, please. I, you know, we we. Oh, yeah, that's very good of you. Now, that's that's awesome. So that's Pam and Mark King, and I really want to congratulate you again. And just to reiterate for everyone listening. Uh, the Hamilton Golf Club, which as uh, a proud Western District boy, Ali, I'm very happy that they've mm. got the chocolates here. $500 Drummond Golf Voucher. They've already won, and yeah. they're in the running to win up to $10,000 worth of products from the Callaway River product range later in the year when we decide the winner, and I can guarantee you they're in the running. So, Pam, Mark, thank you so much for taking a huge chunk out of your busy media schedule and telling us all about this wonderful story. <laughs> Oh, thank you both. I think I think I can say that quite safely that a lot of us are appreciative of what you do for the game. Oh well, it's it's, it's we're proud. Of we it. get a lot out of it. Yeah. Well done, Pam and Mark King. We'll be back with more on the other side of the break. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. We are going everywhere today, Ali. Absolutely everywhere, uh, and we're about to head to I think the Big Apple, maybe at least New York State, mm-hmm. if not New York City, and catch up with. Another Australian winner, Grace Kim. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I think that's the best. <laughs> that's the best intro I think we've heard from one of the guests. That is. That's <laughs> how gone. sweet do you sound, Grace Kim? <laughs> well, I'm having a good time, so. <laughs> I'll bet you are. So let we we last saw you uh, at the Australian Amateur, and you were trying to get your your uh, paperwork into gear to go to the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Um, which I know that we, you know, we spoke to you about that, and it didn't go as planned, but it was a great experience. But since then, you have just gone on a tour de force of the United States. It's been epic. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been on my side, so I wouldn't be complaining. So, can you give us a, a rundown of of what you have been uh, playing in over there, Grace? Because it's been you've kind of been jumping around on, on a couple of different tours. Yeah, so I started off with uh, the Cactus Tour, which is a really small tour to try and get into the Symmetra tour, which is obviously the secondary tour. And um, I played really badly the the first week and I actually wanted to just go back to Orlando. I didn't want to play the second week and I just pushed through and managed to get a win there. Oh no, that was Phoenix, sorry. And then, um, yeah, and then last week I was in Texas for two weeks and uh Came low amateur in the Women's Texas Open and then backed it up with a WATT win. So it's been good. Yeah, give us a give us a little bit of a rundown on on obviously like the mini tours for me have been uh, they've been playing an incredible part of of women's golf in particular. I'm just thinking back to uh, the the lead up to the the Women's Open at, at Troon last year where Sophia Popoff was out playing mainly on the Cactus Tour. And you say it's a small tour, but like it really launched you know, her success of, of the last 12 months. Um, how many mini tours in the, uh, are there in the States to choose from for the women? Um, I believe there's, I mean, I think there's the only two, which is the Cactus Tour and the WAPT. But, I mean, I could be wrong. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to, you know, open doors for either Symmetra Tour or even hopefully the LPGA Tour. So there's a lot of little paths. It's just, obviously a lot harder than, you know, getting straight onto the LPGA tour. Now, Grace, you'll have to enlighten me a bit here. I assume there are some quite seasoned professionals among the players on the WAPT and the Cactus Tour still trying to, uh, you know, nut out their way onto the big tours of the world. 
um, they must be a little bit taken aback when a, a little, you know, very quiet and shy, un, very reserved young amateur from Sydney comes along and kicks their date around the courses of the world. <laughs> yeah, um, they were obviously seeing an international and, you know, wanted to see how I was going. And I met a lot of good uh, friends there and they had no idea who I was, obviously, because, um, you know, United States is a big state and there's a lot of good golfers out here. So um, they, I was I was just explaining to some of the girls I'd practice rounds with, you know, I'm just trying to get uh, wrap up my amateur career this year and then hopefully turn professional. And then they were just like, what what just happened? You just won. Are you you're, you're like so good? Like where have you been? Um, it's just it's just been pretty cool, yeah. So that's the obvious question for us to ask you. I mean, you, I, I don't for a millisecond think that you would think about it this way. But you you know you burned a lot of cash by not being professional this week, and presumably um, back at the Cactus Tour win in Phoenix as well. Does it is it getting the better of you soon? Do you take the pro plunge, or do you just keep persevering as an amateur and keep your options open? Uh, for now, I I will definitely stay as an amateur. I think I will either make um, US amateur my last amateur event because I, I I didn't get the chance to play it in previous years and then obviously last year because of COVID. Um, so I would really like to, you know, get that going and then um, hopefully turn professional afterwards or even after the uh, Asia Pacific Women's Amateur, which is supposed to be held in October, but it's, I'm not sure due to, you know, the unknown. So it, it'll definitely be this, like this year. So I'm really excited. So the big prize you took away from the WAPT win was a start in the Symmetra Tour in Cincinnati in a few weeks' time. Um, that's not the temptation required to tip you over the edge, obviously. But that's a huge thing coming up, isn't it? Uh yeah, it's really big. Obviously, we've never played in a Symmetra Tour event, and um, we've had Julian Sue and Robin Choi at the Golf Australia House in Orlando. And you know, seeing them pursue their professional careers, I just cannot wait till the day I can announce that I'm a professional and you know kickstart on that. I I I'm really excited, but um, yeah, I I mean I'm. I've had the thought today just because I had a bit of a schedule mix-up, um, but I just don't think, obviously, with no status at the moment, it's not worth taking that leap. So I will probably just wait till Q school in August. You, you touched a little bit on kind of like the Orlando house. What it, What's it like having access to kind of seeing, you know, obviously they're, they're friends of yours, you know, Hannah, Minji, um, Sue, but being able to see how they go about their weeks, essentially like straight up firsthand, that that kind of experience that now like the Golf Australia program kind of making a, a little tiny little base over in the US, um, how much has, has that contributed, you think, towards uh, how your career is trending, but also how you manage it? Oh, so well. I couldn't have asked for anything better, you know. It's the best thing that Golf Australia has ever like oh like one of the best things that Golf Show has ever provided, you know, it's it's having a home in the US. It's a foreign country. I was actually really scared to, you know, come over here, but to have the Mackey family and the Golf Australia house, all the Aussies come in and out. Um, a couple of the Aussies who live around the area as well. It's just it's so comfortable and like comforting, reassuring that, you know, it's it is a foreign country but everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's, you know, 
trying to get on tour, trying to earn some money, trying to get everywhere that they can, even though it's far away from home. And I actually haven't had the emotional breakdown of missing home yet Mm -hmm. because of how comfortable I am in the Golf Australia house. It's just unbelievable. And I think that is one of the reasons why I'm trending upwards here in the U.S. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, that concept of, of not having to arrange a place and having a sense of ownership that is, is so incredibly precious. It's something that I wish that I had when I was um, a professional and really the only stepping stone for me at the time was to go to college in the US. And this is kind of, you know, giving you the space to, to kind of learn and train while you're over at those tournaments as well and get get the insights of the two. And now, Grace, I have one one question about your, your win um, in Texas. Do you think, like, obviously there was no you know, monetary incentive for you. Do you think that, like, one of the questions I always have, you know, and, and it's that transition between playing amateur and, and pro golf, how did you feel down the stretch? And do you think that maybe not having that $9,500 check looming over you just freed you up a little bit toward the end? Because you won, I think you won by two, didn't you? Yeah, so through the front night I was leading by nine and then I ended up only winning by two shots. Um, but... <laughs> I think, uh, I think obviously it is a bit of a different mindset in a pro event because it you, they are playing for money. Um, I'm not at the moment, obviously, and I think it would have been a completely different story if. I mean, I don't know how much crazier I could have get could have gotten on the back nine than <laughs> I shot, but I I uh, I think having that mindset that for me it's more of an experience than playing for money. Um, it it did free me up a little bit, but I've obviously got to get started into thinking that I've, it's definitely each shot is going to cost me. And I think that's just going to be the big challenge for me in the future. I remember thinking something like that when you won the Australian Amateur this year. You had the uh, Kuyonga course record on your, on your plate there at one stage, Grace. I know. I know, right? I think, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think I could get any crazier, but I did last week <laughs> and I just can't believe I did it, to be honest. Um, now, Grace, just, just before we let you go, can you tell us what you've been up to in the last 48 hours? Because it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so um, I had the privilege of playing some of the best golf courses in the US or in the world, basically, with uh, the one and only GOAT, greatest of all time, Kari Webb. Uh, she's managed to organize a little golf trip in uh, in accordance to the Kari Webb series this year. We had Kirsten Rudgesley hoping to come over, but her plans um, didn't work out the way she wanted to. So as I was here in the US, she managed to organize a game at Hidden Creek on uh, Saturday, so right the day after I finished. Oh, no, Monday. I can't remember. I don't even know what day it was. So two days ago. <laughs> and then um, we got to play Pine Valley yesterday. Which oh. Was really, really awesome. <laughs> oh, not envious uh, at all, Grace. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of messages saying that, um, you know, I'm pretty lucky. And it took Kari, to, Kari 25 years to play these three courses. So I've played Augusta. Wingfoot and tomorrow I'm playing I mean Augusta Pine Valley and tomorrow I'm playing Wingfoot and it's taken her 25 years whereas it's taken me like three months (laughs) 
Oh, my God. We can no longer be friends. I'm so envious. So good. <laughs> yeah, it's been amazing. And um, she's also organized a game at Westchester, which is the uh, venue for US Amateur this year. Brilliant. Oh. I mean, that's bucket list stuff. Oh, Pine Valley. I can't believe you got on Pine Valley. That's, oh, absolutely. That's that's the next level. Um, it pays to have good high uh, friends in high places, I think, uh, Grace. That's, that's the moral of this story. Uh-huh, 100%, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Well, Grace, it's been so good uh, to catch up with you. We'll, we'll be following uh, your successes and uh, and your path over the next couple of months uh, towards that potential professional goal uh, with so much interest. Thanks so much for coming on Inside the Ropes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Ali, great to hear from Grace, but she wasn't the only Australian amateur kicking goals in the US this week. No, Maddie uh, Hinson-Tolshard uh, has been just trending in the right direction, uh, really. In the last couple of months, she's had a pretty up and down 12 months, though. I mean, she signed up to go to college at Oklahoma State, couldn't get over there for the first semester of her career, which would have been a, a serious knock for her uh, and, and, and probably for the team as well. They're lucky that they've actually got a really big roster so they have people to fall back on uh, because usually that kind of <laughs> that can really change your team's chances uh, yeah. of kind of making uh, making, you know, conference and, and regionals and, and nationals, but she's been there uh, since the start of the year and uh, and was quite influential in the end. I asked her the other day when I was chatting to her, I didn't know whether they were the Oklahoma State Cowboys or whether, you know, how they went. She goes, no, 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 we're cowgirls. Yep. Like she was really, <laughs> she, she's a cowgirl girl. She uh, is, yeah. And they, they, just to, you know, talk about the backstory, they uh, they lost in the, uh, in the final for the NCAA championship. It was their best, you said it was the best ever. Um, finish mm. from OSU, OSU, which I find really surprising because they were incredibly strong when I was playing. They had, you know, um, two Solheim, I mean, well, a major champion in Penel Lindberg and, right. uh, and Caroline Masson was on the team yeah. uh, and Caroline Headwall. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm just thinking back. I'm, I'm trying to fact check myself as I say this yeah. live on a mic, which is always a great idea. Uh, but no, I'm pretty sure all three of them went. To, to OSU. Will you ever think about that? You fact check yourself. Thanks. I'll tell, tell you why we're talking about Maddie because she's won the Southern Amateur in, in uh, Florida, just north of Miami. Um, a predominantly, she was the fourth qualifier after two rounds of stroke play, uh, took down the medalist in the semi final of the match play, and really it was the only time she went past the 14th green all week. She absolutely dominated. Uh, former Australian junior champion, of course, and um, really well thought of. From the Gosnells Golf Club in Perth, um, lovely young woman, um, really happy to see her. Her and Grace, you couldn't find two nicer young um, ambassadors for Australian junior or amateur golf, I should say, at the moment. So, And, and they're all, um, when I was talking with, with uh, Maddie the other day, she actually said, um, and, and Grace did too, they both heard from Hannah Green. Mm. Um on the day of their successes. I like that. I love that. I love that. And we always talk about the WA connection, mm. but you know, it's gone beyond that with Grace. Obviously she's from Sydney, not Perth, but they're so tight. They all follow each other. It's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Yeah. I, well, I mean, that's for me, if I was trying to, you know, create some kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is, or is not, but environment uh, that you you know, that you nourish along the way. And that's, I mean, they're doing it on their own. They're not being led to do this, you know, and it's, it comes so naturally to, to Hannah. 
Uh, and to Minji. Minji's growing into that role yeah. as well, which has been fun, uh, fun to watch her. You know, and, they, and these young women, they, they're kind of growing up in front of our eyes. And you know, really I are. hope that, uh, that Maddie's story is one that, that keeps progressing and that we can, we can stay on top of as well. So she's gone down for a little jaunt down to Mexico with one yeah. of her college teammates this week. And then she's up to Kansas to try and qualify for the US Women's Amateur. Um, hopefully she can play with Grace, as we heard there. Um, it was Westchester later in the year. So that'd be great. Um, phenomenal week, really, when you have two Australians winning in the States, uh, on top of all the things that we spoke about to, to start the program as well. So, Yeah, it's been, it's been a big week for, for golf all round. And I think, you know, there's a lot of hype about the game at mm. the moment for various reasons, as you've touched on, uh, you know, with kind of the dramas and mm. and the headlines that we've had. And it's, I don't know, I, like, whilst you want, you want it to be for the right reasons. Having eyes on golf, I, you know, I have to say, I'm not sure that it's such a bad thing to to kind of draw, and they're going to be drawing a, a slightly different crowd. I'm mainly referring to, to Brooks and Bryson, mm. but they are going to be creating a different kind of hype around around the game in a different demographic. Absolutely correct. Don't get me wrong. I you, don't particularly like it. No, no, you don't. But exactly, me too. You want yeah. you want people to be watching golf for the purity of it and how good it is, and you know how hard it is, etc. But the reality is, you only break through into these other audiences when you hear a spat. It's why we mm. only ever see ice hockey on the news when there's a fight, Ellie. You know, there was actually this is a really you don't know that this is coming, which is great because I, I can do. see the fear in your eyes. <laughs> And I know that fear well, believe me. <laughs> I felt it myself. Um, there was actually, a, there was a punch up on, where was it? It wasn't the Corn Ferry, but one of the American tours. There, oh. was, a, there was an actual, there was a fight. It'll come out in the news. It came out, uh, I think, I woke up to reading something about Today. It this morning. There was an, there two people have been withdrawn or disqualified from an event in oh, the US. Really? Two blokes, yeah, for, for getting in a punch up. And then a guy had to go and get a marker because he was the only one. <laughs> Out of the three ball that didn't th- throw a punch, oh. uh, for for better or worse. But yeah, so I, I'm sure we'll see more details. What prompts that? Uh, I couldn't tell you, but but it was interesting because a lot of people had guesses on who it was, and some of them were right. So obviously these two blokes have a history, a bit of a history or or oh. a reputation wow. for uh, for for throwing some elbows. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to read more about that. Uh, on the complete opposite end of the scale, Ali, I want to give um, some great kudos to two legendary Australian PGA professionals. Um, this week, Gary Edwin and the late David Mercer were both recipients of uh, Order of Australia medals. Oh, wow. For their services to golf. Um, I think more people um, probably know Gary Edwin, maybe, but David Mercer's had the, a huge impact as well. Um, not that long ago, left us. Um, yeah, really excellent recognition for two great PGA pros. Um, Gary Edwin's just, I don't know, he's, he's a legend, isn't he? He is, yeah. And, you know, it's its one of those things that, that golf is privy to in terms of uh, the potential impact to a community is different, in my opinion, than, than most sports mm-hmm. and, uh, and what you can, uh, yeah, foster within your area through, through a golf club is, um, is something that's really special to our game, I think. And, uh, and it's great to see them get the nod for that. Did you know that Gary Edwin was born Gary Edwin player? Oh, I didn't. That's amazing. So he, that is interesting. he, he was getting confused. So he went with Edwin. Huh. How about that, eh? Yeah, intriguing. Well, nice that he made a, a name for himself in his own right. 
literally. Mm. <laughs> See what we did there? I li- yeah, I like what yeah. you did there. That was pretty sharp. <laughs> of course, he's the famous coach of Jan Stevenson and Peter Senior, among hundreds of others. Um, but that's a that's a fairly good resume. Anything else you want to put on the table? I think we've done a, a pretty solid job today, and uh, and most of it's been done for us by our brilliant guests. That's true. We really owe a great debt of gratitude to uh, the Kings, Pam and Marg. Yeah. We probably should mention Maddie Jones. Yes, he's, he hasn't been too shabby. I love talking to Grace Kim as well, yeah. though. She's just such a lovely girl. And I, I love that Like she's she's so quintessentially Aussie in the fact that she's self-deprecating and has a bit of a giggle and doesn't take, you know, and she kind of calls things how it is in terms of her game. Like, you know, she she talked about her final nine and yeah. and was very candid, which, uh, which you don't always get. Yeah. Hopefully we continue to bring the insights into these people's real lives to to the to the front of the conversation because that's what we really need to know. Ali, you have been a rock star today. <laughs> Likewise, Hazy. You're not too shabby I'm a, yourself. I'm a, I'm a roadie, Ali. I'm a roadie. You're the rock star. <laughs> that's it. I think 211's gone past without your requirement of emergency vehicles. No, we only had one exit out of this room as well, and it's lucky we didn't have to use it. It's a a heavy door. (laughs) Oh, very good. Thank you, everyone. That's uh, Ali Whitaker on Mark Hayes. That's episode 211 of Inside the Ropes. We'll be back with another strange combination next week.